0: Welcome to the 2018 CBAA National Features and Documentary Series, a collection of new works from emerging Australian community radio producers. Over the next half hour, Barry Green will be sharing some of his 30 years' experience in organic farming and something called the New Food Movement. In Healthy Soils, Healthy Communities, we'll hear from a group of Australians concerned about the future of food and the solution they're putting on the table.
1: G'day, I'm Barry Green. Some organic farmers fear being dismissed as part of the loony left, but nothing could be further from the truth. Regenerative agriculture is tapping into an increased understanding of soil biology. One farmer, Charles Massey, has explained the concept of regenerative agriculture in his acclaimed book, Call of the Reed Warbler, A New Agriculture, A New Earth. He explores industrial agriculture and proposes a new way to produce more healthier, tastier food with a positive environmental impact, while also rebuilding rural communities. Charlie was a 22-year-old uni student who went back to the family farm when his father got sick. And after farming successfully for 36 years, Charlie went back to university to undertake a PhD in human ecology. I met Charlie in Fremantle in Western Australia in March 2018, where he was guest speaker at an event titled Healthy Soils, Healthy Communities, Pathways for Regeneration from Farm to Fork. The event was organised by Edith Cowan University, Perth Natural Resource Management and the Hart Foundation. As an organic farmer, I've always felt we've been preaching to the converted. Charlie's book is appealing to a far wider audience and challenging belief structures that have evolved around industrial agricultural practices. Let's meet Charlie and others mentioned in his book are involved in farming and health as we explore the connection between soil health, community health and your health. Charlie explains that many industrial farming practices developed after the Second World War when companies were looking for ways to use the factories that had been built to produce chemicals and explosives.
2: The big multinationals could see a huge opportunity and so they they came up with the modern um, synthetic fertilisers uh, dependent on fossil fuel and, uh, and, and, and nitrogen. So that was really how, if you like, the big industrial sector geared up to push industrial agriculture. The so-called Green Revolution came off the back of that. Despite the awarding of Nobel Prizes, the social and ecological impacts now have been found to be pretty disastrous worldwide.
1: The concept of stability through diversity and the importance of a feedback loop is critical to any stable system. It seems to me that the feedback loop between farmers and, shall we say, eaters, has been broken by the commoditisation of
2: food. That's a really good point. There's a couple of issues here, and that is that the only way the regenerative movement is going to work is that people start to learn just the stark difference between its density and range of nutrients coming out of healthy soils and systems versus what the industrial world's doing to their food. And we're seeing it starting to happen with um, my youngest daughter works in the new food movement in Melbourne, for example. There's some wonderful stuff happening in a lot of our cities in terms of community gardens, school gardens, Stephanie Alexander's teaching of growing your own veggies and stuff. But most consumers don't realise is that in a healthy uh, soil, and and today still at uni because I sat through uh, soil science 40 years apart, they still mainly teach chemistry and physics. But the real secret is the huge biology under a healthy soil. One of the key components there in creating healthy soil are are the root fungus. What these guys do in exchange for the uh, root sugars coming out of the plants from photosynthesis, their part of the bargain after getting these sugars is to go and search this huge variety of nutrients, and we're talking about thousands, which humans have co-evolved to eat. If you proceed then to chemically fertilise or spray, you kill off the biology. And and so you end up with modern crops that are basically drug addicts dependent on just a few minerals which aren't necessarily good for you in their large doses. And then parallel to that is the modern breeding techniques which is to breed for production and your dwarf wheats and all that sort of stuff. And and there's just huge amounts of research to show now that the nutrient level have plummeted. Most industrial food, on top of what the processes do to it, is pretty well empty of the vital nutrients. And so that's a factor in the explosion of the modern diseases. But the other big one, and this is now coming over the horizon like an express train, is the world's most widely used herbicide is glyphosate, commonly known as Roundup. Tons going out now. There's more and more researchers coming out with the data. And we now know it's in most of the industrial modern foods. It's even in baby's milk. It's in our water. The recent evidence, uh, coming from lots of scientific papers, is that it is very, very destructive for our immune systems. Firstly, it's getting into our guts, our gut microbiome, and it's totally cutting and interfering with the amino acid pathway that the bugs process for uh, healthy uh, immune defence. Point two, we know the glyphosate chemical is now penetrating the really important gut lining, and it's also penetrating the blood-brain barrier. With the explosion of genetically modified soy, corn, cereals, canolas, all the modern food staples, and corn syrup penetrates all the major industrial foods you see on supermarket shelves, that took off with genetically modified crops in the uh, mid-90s. And the parallel explosion in modern diseases, you know, your cancers and... Uh, heart diseases and others, uh, let alone your brain diseases, ADDH, Alzheimer's, autism, etc. It's an extraordinary correlation of of that taking off at the same time as this explosion in glyphosate. So the evidence is just mounting enormously. And I think as the truth gets known, it might cause a huge shift in that urban population we're talking about to support the food off organic, uh, healthy, regenerative landscapes. So uh, I'd be watching this space, Barry.
1: The uh, tobacco companies managed to deny the issues of their product, but at least people had a choice about using that product. In the case of glyphosate, people don't know they're consuming it.
2: Look, there's a lot of good material around now on on the playbook that um, the tobacco industry used. It was the same think tanks and deniers and the same tame scientists were picked up by the climate deniers. And now the chemical industry is picking up exactly the same group. It's, 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 it's the game of denial. And, um, and it's been effective. They don't try and deny. They just water down the argument and sow doubt. So nothing, nothing new. It, it's, it's the old playbook. But, uh, you can only keep sitting on it for so long. And I, I, think, um, some of these issues are enormous and, and the, the farmers that are into regenerative agriculture delivering a truly healthy food and the urban community is waking up to it that that's the, the change is going to come from the bottom up Barry it's, it's not going to be top down the universities, the departments, the major research institutions uh, you know it's no good pointing blame it's just the way they've developed they're, they're predicated on, on the remit they've been given which is to foster research into the industrial the main approach but we now have a, a new approach which reveals that the old approach has major flaws and uh, they're not going to shift um, the sort of dinosaurs and the policy level etc etc so the, the the change has to come from the farmers and the consumers and, and that's why I call it an underground revolution really playing on the soil a bit it's it's got to be us that makes the change otherwise the legacy we leave to our children and grandchildren is going to be horrific.
1: Charles Massey's call of the reed warbler is providing a call to action and someone taking up that call is Amanda Divine a Professor of Public Health and Nutrition at ESCAN University, who is one of the organisers of the Healthy Soils, Healthy Communities event.
3: It's really trying to bring together pieces of work that are already happening at Edith Cowan University, and really we want to sort of think about it in a, a very bigger, bigger program of work, but we also need to advocate to government. We need buy-in from government and other stakeholders to actually make this happen, and it doesn't belong to one portfolio either.
1: So you're really talking about a more holistic approach and uh, what Charles refers to as importance of diversity and as you develop environmental and economically diverse systems they become self-regulating and and self-organising and Charles compares that to the Darwinian survival of the fittest sort of uh, thinking which has led to bigger and bigger organisations. Stability through diversity is fairly fundamental.
3: Yes, I I, I totally agree. And I suppose we really need to all have a role in that. Even if you do something at a very small local level, we're playing a role in a much bigger piece of work. And I mean, I think Edith County is trying to do that with other partners. And there's a real groundswell. The time is ripe, really, and we need to be sort of engaging lots of people, making it happen in our own backyards, in our own communities, and then looking at the state nationally and then beyond.
1: The significance of community radio, and this is being produced for community radio in Australia, is that... Um, It is driven by the community, and and the commercial media has sort of been paid for by the companies that are selling these, uh, what Michael Pollan in The Omnivore's Dilemma refers to as food-like material. And, uh, you know, I think think we are in this period of change, driven to a fair degree by the internet, because the internet is the best of capitalism, and it's providing a mechanism for the exchange of ideas and information that hasn't existed previously, because uh, the commercial media has been the main source of information it's largely been driven by fairly vested commercial interests.
3: Yes and that's where I suppose academia or universities have a role in actually undertaking independent research that can then feed back and drive change that needs to actually happen independent of of commercial
4: enterprises. Like, you hear your grandparents maybe talking about how things tasted when they were kids and it doesn't taste like that anymore, because actually it doesn't, because all of those flavour profiles come through from
1: microbiology. I'm Barry Green, and we're exploring the connection between healthy soils and healthy communities. Nicole Masters is the director, researcher and storyteller for Integrity Soils. She's an agroecologist working all around the world helping farmers to better understand the soils and create better products with less inputs. Here's her story.
4: Well, I think we're entering a very exciting time for agriculture and if you look in the scientific journals, they're calling this the postmodern agriculture era that we're entering which is also what education is entering in human health which is looking at things in more holistic view in terms of we can't keep treating um, agriculture like a machine for instance just like we can't treat children like that or health system like that because the minute you do that we end up with what we call the unintended consequences which is if you apply a herbicide or a pesticide or fertilizer what are some of the unintended consequences if you look in the scientific journals, they define postmodern agriculture, regenerative agriculture, is that farmers are the experts. That that the scientific community's been a little bit slow on the uptake, and so basically farmers are having to experiment themselves in order to find what works well out here. And the exciting thing about inf- the information age that we're in is that producers are able to support each other through the internet, through you know podcasts and radio, and getting together. Um, and just sharing information and of what works well here. What we're seeing is no matter where we're at, it's a biological system that we've been dealing with, and yet we've been treating it like it's a physical or chemical system. And actually, we've got to get back to those basics, which is biology. And if you look at what's happening in health at the moment around the human microbiome and just the massive breakthroughs we've had in the last 10 years and our understanding, the same understanding is happening in soil health. How do those microbiology relate to the uptake of enzymes and vitamins and secondary metabolites? The stuff that gives us food quality is a biological process or, you know, if we're looking at wine, what gives wine its beautiful flavours is a biological process. So there's been rapid breakthroughs in this and it's a really exciting frontier to be working in. We can't keep up with the interest and the demand from, you know, pretty large scale cropping operations, um, sheep and beef that really are thinking... How do we improve the nutrient density for a consumer market that's becoming more discerning? Ask those questions like, you know, are there chemical residues in this food? You know, uh, glyphosate, for instance, is not a food additive, and yet in many places it's being applied before harvest. You know, and I think if if people were thinking and considering, what am I growing? Oh, yeah, I'm growing food. Maybe uh, people don't want to have that, you know, chemical additive added into the system.
1: You talked about nutrient density and that's something that um, probably hasn't been considered. You see an orange or an apple or whatever and think it's an orange or an apple but depending on how it's grown it can have lots of minerals or, or very little. Is the mineral density of the food a direct product of the health of the soil?
4: So the same as what we're seeing in the human microbiome. So they're saying, you know, one third of people now have a seriously compromised gut system, um, and most people have a compromised gut system. You're not able to get the nutrients and the vitamins the way it's designed to be. So our health has been compromised. They're now finding pretty much everything you can think of for human health is related to your gut microbiology. So same thing in the soil. We've done a lot to compromise that living faction that are what providing you know trace elements and minerals and vitamins to the plant. So um, if you look back say to the 1940s data about the amount of nutrients in food we've lost between 20 to 60 percent of the nutrient density in that food so you you'll be eating an orange but actually that orange you have to now eat two or three times the amount of oranges to get the same amount of nutrition. So they're calling it the hidden hunger in terms of we're not getting those trace elements, vitamins, enzymes that we need because it's a biological process. So yeah, make that demand. You know, it's the consumers that are going to really drive this and and be willing to pay for that food instead of, you know, this race to the bottom of lower and lower quality for a lower and lower price just doesn't work for anybody.
1: That's Nicole Masters, an agroecologist, helping farmers to bring life back into their soils. A WA farmer featured in Charlie's book is Ron Watkins, an innovative farmer from Franklin River in the Great Southern. In his book, Charlie talks about the peer group pressure that Ron has copped over the years. As an innovator, which I
5: am, doing new areas, every innovator knows that he's pushing new knowledge. It, it hasn't been done before necessarily, so he, he knows he's on the edge of it all, and he's got to be able to sort of cope with that, but in the trying, you might fail, but I felt the trying was well worth the effort, and even if I did fail, uh, I had tried and I would have answered a fair few questions, so that's what I tried to do.
1: Organic agriculture is all about building a soil organic matter, so that biology can develop to access the nutrients. This is also locking carbon into the soil and drawing huge quantities of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Charlie talks about regenerative agriculture. Ron, is that a better description than organic? See, organics
5: has this this perception that you have a ponytail and nose rings and and that sort of stuff. Well, come on, I haven't got one of those. I'm a third generation farmer. It comes from my travels overseas. I've, I've been to a America and and uh, well five other countries in the world that we did a Churchill Fellowship for, and I saw what poisons were doing, and I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want my farm to be a part of that, and I really didn't want to produce food that had been produced with poisons. And you know when they're finding um, glyphosate in in the breast milk of women, and, and I, I just it's, to me it was a killing thing. It was. To me the environment is a beautiful thing, it's, it's married together, it is, it is diverse, it's not chaotic and it's magnificent in its ability to be together in that diversity. And the greater the diversity, the better the
1: sustainability. In 1996, Rom was awarded the United Nations Global 500 Award, which is the highest award that the United Nations give in the environmental area.
5: We headed over for World Environment Day to South Africa, met President Mams shook hands, never washed my hands for a month.
1: I first met you when the Albany Farmers Market started up, and uh, our Tourist Radio website has been promoting the Albany Farmers Market ever since. And I see this is all part of making the connection between farmers and eaters. How did you get involved in the Albany Farmers Market?
5: So we headed off to the various meetings that Jane Adams put on down there and then the very first time that we had any eggs in our new production system was the first day that the market actually started. So we trooped off down there with a hat full of eggs. Most of the food you get from the market in Albany would have been picked the day before and I think if you spoke with consumers what really gets people is the freshness of the food. and. When you have a big retail system happening, there's no way that they can have the food picked one day and sold the next, and that's the power of the local farmer's market.
1: Yeah, the real fresh food people. The farmer's market system has existed for hundreds of years and is a true private enterprise, free market environment. The traditional way to open an English farmer's market has always been the ringing of the bell. I'm Barry Green. Thanks for joining me as we explore the connection between healthy soils and healthy communities. Ian and Di Haggerty farm in a challenging northeastern wheat belt in Western Australia, in an area receiving between 1 and 300 millimetres of rain per year. Di trained as an occupational therapist and was trained to look for causes of health problems
6: occupational therapy itself is a very holistic thinking profession um, it makes sense to try and look at preventative health care rather than uh, cure or treatment
1: so in terms of your own farming experience you, you didn't inherit the family farm you've done it the hard way and you were forced to think things differently through economic circumstances which led you down a different path to what um, people have been led can you explain that process a bit
6: yeah, I guess um when you're told in the very early stages of your career uh, that you're not going to be viable, you have to start thinking outside the square pretty quickly and I guess both of us think fairly broadly and look at things from all sorts of angles. And I think it was really when we um, went to the Elaine Ingham course that we realised that uh, when you actually get some of these natural processes working for you, there isn't a huge amount of cost involved. It's just a matter of transitioning a landscape from being very degraded and lacking a lot in biological activity to one that's rich in its diversity and can do a lot of that work for you rather than having to apply more and more products on to treat symptoms or problems that are evolving through a, a depleted system.
1: And I guess the important thing is that the animals are integral to this process so there's, there's some people have the view that uh, you know if we all ate mung beans the world's going to be saved but uh, the animals are an integral part of of uh, the soil building process
6: absolutely they are our starting point at all times when we go on to newly new pieces of land which have got a serious history of degradation, the microbes in those animals' guts are what actually start to trigger that process of healing within the soil microorganism community.
1: The talk has been that organic farming can't feed the world, but I guess you're proving it can actually produce more with far less inputs and a better return to farmers. That must also have an effect on rural communities that have been decimated by the prevailing economic logic.
6: An absolutely critical factor there Barry. Rural decline is a massive concern because once we lose those people with those skill sets and the desire to live in these areas, the capacity to live there, it really is going to be a huge problem to try and turn the Titanic around at that stage. So we've got to look at getting more profitability back into farming, uh, the more connectedness back into farming and food pr- production the recognition from the community that food is a valuable commodity and that has got um, landscape restoration considerations within that so consumers need to be aware that when they're purchasing optimum quality healthy food that's restoring their personal health and their gut microbial health that they're also making a contribution to restoring the landscape as well and we all need to have bear equal responsibility for those things. There has been the history of down on price and then it comes down to down down on health as well and down down on our environment and what do we really want. I think that's something perhaps the consumers just need the opportunity to be educated about those links because it's certainly been swept under the carpet for many generations and we really need to have to reverse that and we can make some really positive significant change.
1: Ian and Di farm as a team but Di is mostly the spokesperson when they present at food and farming events all over Australia. Ian explains that Di is able to bring other women into the decision-making process.
5: Well, that's correct, yeah, because a lot of the um, positions that we get put in, we're dealing with large-scale agriculture because we're large-scale ourselves. And when we're talking to big farmer groups, and that can be all over Australia, we're, we're very aware that it's great to get DIE up front presenting and being the spokesperson for what we do. It's getting more and more women in the audience, and... Um, Farmers bring their wives along and it actually empowers the wives that you know there is other women up there doing and taking a leading role in this production.
1: This program has been inspired by Charles Massey's book, Call of the Reed Warbler, A New Agriculture, A New Earth. Charlie talks about the focus on productivity, which our governments are always talking about. But we have a subsidised health or sickness system that's costing the government billions of dollars a year and steadily increasing. Is it time for the Productivity Commission to investigate the connection between industrial agriculture and sickness costs? What I think is exciting is the Internet, which is the product of the best of capitalism, is providing a free exchange of ideas and information so that we can have these conversations. And this opportunity has never existed before in the history of mankind. Now, a lot of marketers assume that people aren't very bright and have the concentration of a goldfish. But I think community radio listeners are much smarter than that. And by having a serious conversation, people can come to their own conclusions. And from a farming point of view, if we can produce a better product with less input costs, then we'll have a win-win situation. Let's give Charles Massey the last word.
2: The change has to come from the farmers and the consumers, and that's why I call it an underground revolution really. It's got to be us that makes the change. This whole thing's really a story of hope, I mean there's so much negativity around, but here are the solutions, both planetary-wise, human health-wise, farming-wise, and local community-wise, so I think there's just so much hope involved, positivity.
0: That was farmer Barry Green, finding out what's happening in farming for the future of food. Healthy Soils, Healthy Communities was produced in the studios of Donnybrook Community Radio with supervising production from Ian Hill. It was just one piece from the CBAA's 2018 National Features and Documentary Series. Visit nfds.org.au. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. To support the production of content like this, donate at cbf.org.au. It was produced
3: for the Community Radio Network with training and mentoring from the Community Media Training Organisation.